It's time for the Hadit.com radio show. Hadit.com radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help with the VA, log on to Hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Cook. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, on this 10th day of September 2014. We're here with our co-hosts, Jay Basser and Berta Simmons. And uh, stretcher technician there in Arkansas. And our guest speaker today will be Bob Walsh. Uh, he's an attorney uh, helping veterans out. Uh, so if any of you out there need a good attorney, please give him a call. We'll have his number on here to, uh, in a bit. And uh, our call-in number now, should you have any questions or comments, our call-in number is 347-237-4819. Our call-in number, once again, is 347-237-4819. So if you have a question or comment, uh, don't hesitate. Give, give us a call. Uh Bob, how are you doing today? Pretty good on this rainy Battle Creek morning, Gerald. Um, been pretty hectic around here. The uh, uh, I ran into a DAV uh, service officer, and we got talking, and and uh, he he agreed with my observation that since uh, Secretary Shinseki has left the VA, uh, they've hijacked his claims automation system and turned it into a claims denial robot. Have you heard anything like that? Uh, I have heard that uh, there's some some new problems cropping up, uh, and that's probably one of them. I'm, I don't see where uh, under this new secretary that the veterans are going to fare much better. Uh, it, it, so far, I'm not seeing much. I think he he might roll a couple of heads uh, lower echelon, but the people that that needs to be addressed uh, uh, with these issues, uh, it don't look like they're going to do it. Well, I'll tell you, I want to I want to say publicly again. I've said it several times, but I think when they when they write the book of of Secretaries of Veterans Affairs, and of course that only goes back to '88 when when the VA became a department of government and the administrator was elevated to the rank of of secretary. I think when they write that book, up until this moment in time, I think that General Shinseki is going to be the best one they've had. I think he. Got, I agree. I think he got more done, and certainly. Uh, the, virtually the first thing he did, which was to grant the uh, the benefits for Parkinson's and heart. I know CLL was in there. CLL, I I've, I think I've I've never had a case here in 25 years or one case of it. But um, uh, Parkinson's and heart, you know, that's almost all my Vietnam guys, and uh, I, I just we we were when we went back and looked. When I heard about Parkinson's from Ted Papish, I went. I asked the secretary, 
because it was off my radar screen. Uh, Hart was not. I had been filing Hart claims for about five years before the law changed, so all we had to do was go back when the we had all the evidence turned in and everything. It was easy to get those Hart claims approved. But I hadn't been doing Parkinson's, although I knew some of my guys had it, and we at that time we probably, you know, we had a lot of idle files and, you know, archive files. But I asked the secretary, how many of our guys have got Parkinson's? And she thought about it, and we had, I think we had four guys that had it pretty bad. And wow. we ran those, uh, and, and so that amounted of the active claims, that amounted, we probably had 200 claims open. So that, that was 2% of our veteran population, and a lot of our guys were, you know, World War II, Korea, non-Vietnam people. So you're saying of, of like 80 or 100 Vietnam vets, you know, 4% of the guys that were in here with claims open had Parkinson's. And, of course, the general was called up on the Hill, and the Senate asked him, uh, you know, well, what about the funding for this? This is going to cost us a lot of money. And I think his response was pretty much, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but... Um, well, it's your bill, pay it, you know. Uh, so I, I thought he did a great job. On the administrative side, uh, he did get a lot of the dead wood out of there. And and one of the things that uh, my friend Thomas says, he says, you know, everybody talks about, well, the VA employs a lot of veterans. But I like to say there's veterans and then there's veterans. You know, some uh, retired lieutenant colonel or, uh, uh, sergeant major that never heard a shot fired in anger and, and uh, you know, get out in the military for 22 years and then takes off their uniform and, and goes over to 810 Vermont and gets a big cushy office. Uh, they're, a, they're a veteran, but I think they're a vino, a veteran in name only. And uh, the folks at the VA that I've had the best uh, experiences with have been combat veterans and people that, you know, knew a little something or people that were disabled themselves. And I, I think that Shinseki recognized that, and he was going through getting some of those uh, retired-in-place uh, uh, executives on out of there. And it made a difference. It was making a difference. Now, those those are the guys there were a bunch of them at 810 Vermont that had sabotaged the computerization effort. Congress had given them $300 million to get started on this a long time ago, and they they frittered the money away, and they didn't get anything done. So then Shinseki comes back, you know, comes in, and he says, look, we're going to do this, and here's your marching orders. And, of course, you know, he says, he says right face, and they, they do an about face. But I'll tell you uh, some of the outcome. I said in the early in the program, uh, and I know Alex, you know, Asnod and I argued about this, and I said the most important thing about this computerization is going to be the ability to get claims files. And we got five claims files here on Monday for our clients. And they're coming out of Noonan, Georgia, which, uh, along with Wisconsin, uh, you know, are the two uh, computer 
web portals and uh, mailing mailing sites. Got five claims files back from them, and some of these guys had only been clients for about not, uh, uh, two or three months. You know, maybe less than 90 days. We used to wait three to sometimes take three to five years. In fact, we're going back over our old cases and seeing uh, where we don't have claims files or hearing transcripts. We're going back and reordering those now to get them and fill in those gaps. So that's been a that's a tremendous thing because when you've got that claims file and you can sit down and, and see what's missing, uh, and also see what's there, see what old claims were wrongfully denied and bring those claims back to life. That's that's a big advantage. So have you noticed, uh, uh, Bob, on on those uh, that you uh, you've been able to get here recently? Uh, how much information or data has has been missing out of those? Well, I I think uh, I'm a little frustrated that sometimes the guys are printing them double sided. Uh, we only work with single sided paper around here, so then we have to convert it back to single sided and run it through our big high speed scanning machine. Yeah, I we asked for them to, and I would rather that they they gave us a computer disk with a with an Adobe PDF file on it, like the Veterans Court, the CAVC does. Uh, you know, which you can make word searchable. Then you can go through the file. So that's what we create when they send us the paper file. We create a, an Adobe file, uh, which is which is word searchable. So you can go through and put in you know, your name of your ship or shad or whatever word you're looking through and it'll it'll just take you right down through the document and stop every place that that word shows up. And that really allows us to navigate through there. But they're not. They're sending they're still sending paper. The medical people, uh the, the Veterans Health Administration, it's a it's sort of hit and miss. It's about uh, probably two thirds of our requests are coming on C D now. And about a third of them are still coming as paper, but that that's improved. Uh, you know, it all was it was all paper in the past. Now it's now it's about two thirds we're getting CDs. So there's been tremendous improvement there. We did get a decision the other day, and I think we're working on it for about three years. But it was a PTSD 100% that came out. It was very strange because the guy actually got paid. He called me up, and he got paid. Uh, and then three weeks later, we finally got the rating decision. So he, he said, "What? what's all this money in my bank account? And I said, well, it, coming from the VA, it can't be bad news, but I would like to see the decision. Well, we finally got the decision, and it came out of Noonan, Georgia, out of the automated place. And I have a feeling that what happened there was that the automated system was doing the work. In other words, that when they do a CMP exam now, the CMP examiners are filling out one of the, a, a DBQ, you know, a computerized form, and they check certain blocks on there. Well, the computer can read that, and so the computer scans that in, and they pick up those blocks, and that tells them, you know, what direction to go. And so the the result of this was that I think we got kind of a hands-free award, and this is a Detroit case, and you you can you can never win Detroit on the first round. So I think that was uh, that was pretty impressive. Uh, I had a little dispute with uh, 
with the regional office down in Indianapolis on a on a TDIU, an unemployability thing, and I wanted to to cover that if you guys want to talk about that for a minute. Oh, absolutely. Okay, um, you guys may remember that um, that back in I think June of thirteen, the VA came out with a fast letter. I think I sent it to you, Gerald, on TDIU, and you put it up on the website. But um, yeah. this this fast letter is making things more complicated than they need to be. What the law says, what Congress says, is look. If you're a if you're a vet and you're getting sixty percent for one thing, say you've got a sixty percent rating, or you've got a combined rating, then then in in that case, you're entitled to total disability based upon individual unemployability. If you're not working or you can't work because of one of those service-connected conditions, so say you've got PTSD and a bad back, and, the, and you know, with one or the other you might be able to work, but with both those things against you, you know, you say, hey, I can't work, and so you're on Social Security disability. Now, Block 16 of the VA Form 2189-40 says, list all your employment, including self-employment, for the last five years you worked. Okay. Now, my client has been on VA pension since 1993. He's been on Social Security disability since 1993. He only gets few hundred dollars. He gets Social Security disability and then he gets hundred dollars of pension. And there's a lot of people like that. He's been fighting for service connection all this time and now we wanted the board uh, in June of 2011. But the regional office still hasn't, hasn't processed his, uh, his benefit award. He's had a fully favorable CMP exam. So apparently, we got a, I got a phone call from this young man who said that uh, he, he had they'd sent out a VCAA letter, a development letter. They sent us a 2189-40. And I said, young man, we filed a 2189-40, the 2141-92 last employment certificate, along with the Social Security earnings records and everything that supported that, which was like 26 pages of material, three years ago. So did you see that in your system? And the, and the guy says, well, I'm not doing that. The rating board is doing that, but they made me do this. I said, well, okay. And he says, he said, the guy on the rating board said that Block 16 says, list all your employment, including self-employment, for the last five years you worked. And he said, you guys didn't fill out Block 16. And I said, we sent you the Social Security lifetime earnings record, which has every job the guy ever had from the time he got a Social Security card. <laughs> <laughs> 
until he quit working in 1993 in December. Now, I said, it's 11 o'clock in the morning, and this young man can't remember what he had for breakfast mm-hmm. this morning. And I said, you want him to tell you his last five jobs? And I said, I can tell you that they, they weren't long because he, he'd get a new job about every six months. But I don't think that you can say that you don't have that information when you've got the Social Security records. And by the way, a little insight for you, uh, Secretary Shinseki or maybe even Secretary Principi negotiated a deal with Social Security, and now these VSRs have access to the Social Security records on their VA computer terminals. So wouldn't that eliminate Block 16? Well, in that we said in what we said in Block 16 is C attached, and there were, there were 26 pages of attachments, and they were Social Security records, which if they oh. wanted to verify them, they could fire up their little terminal and they could look. Now the story gets more interesting because about a week later, I get a letter saying. Uh, going to my client, who, by the way, is very fragile uh, uh, emotionally, very emotional and a little bit suicidal, and uh, he gets a letter saying, uh, spoke to your attorney and he's withdrawn your claim for unemployability. Oh. Now, first of all, I want you guys to understand that, that the Federal Circuit Court has pointed out, as has the Veterans Court, that unemployability is not a claim. This is important. Unemployability is an operation of law. In other words, a veteran shouldn't have to put their hand up and say, oh, I got this and this and this, and so you should give me TDIU. Congress set it up the other way, which is if you're 70% and you're not working, and you're not working because of your service-connected disability, the VA will pay you at the 100% rate, and they will allow Chapter 35 benefits and, and CHAMP VA benefits for your dependents not might or may or sometimes, but will. So it should be automatic, right? It's an operation of law. Well, how come then the veteran has to apply for it? Well, I've I've had people, I had a widow one time, and she came to me, and she'd been denied DIC. And it it was a strange story. Now, her husband had been... At Pearl Harbor, he'd been at the uh, uh, Army uh, facility out there in Hawaii, Schofield Barracks, before Pearl Harbor, and he'd been—he was standing up in the back of a of a of a deuce and a half truck, and and the clutch slipped or popped or something, and he tumbled off the back, and he smashed both of his lower legs, but. 
his bones wouldn't heal. His bones wouldn't knit. And and now, you know, they've got these electrical stem things they do and a lot of fancy stuff. But this is, you know, this is 1940. And this guy spent a year in the hospital. And there was actually in the file, there was an 8 by 10 glossy photograph of Lieutenant Colonel Dwight David Eisenhower standing at the at the man's bed in the hospital talking to him with his legs up in traction. So that tells you how early it was he got hurt. Now, he finally got where he could walk, and he stayed in until the end of the war, and he was a clerk. He couldn't, he, he wasn't fit for combat, and he stayed there in Hawaii as a, as a clerk. He got out, he became a pharmacist. But he could never own a pharmacy. He could never have his own business. He was always limited because at the end of an eight-hour day, his, his legs would hurt so bad, he just he had to go home. He got a cancer, and the cancer wasn't all that bad. It was a cancer that the chemotherapy, even at that time, you know, 25 years ago, had about a, you know, 80% success rate. But he threw a blood clot. He had an embolism in his lung. And... So he discussed it with his oncologist and his primary care physician, and he said, I'm going to terminate the chemotherapy because I'm not going to choke to death like that. I'm not going to do that again. And this was because he had phlebitis because of his lower legs being messed up from when he, when he smashed them up all those years ago. So the doctor said, well, okay, you're a pharmacist. Do you understand all these risks? Do you understand the medicines? You know, I, I'd rather have you hang in here and you know we can put a filter in or whatever and try to stop that from happening again but it's it's your call so the the cancer wasn't gone it progressed and he passed away so his widow filed a claim for DIC which of course was promptly denied she'd been represented i think uh, it was uh, she is right she had the same service officer that he'd had all his life so I came into the case at the court. We won a remand. And what was missing from the file, I said, well, did you ever get the oncology records, all of the private health records on this cancer? And she said, well, no, I didn't. And I said, well, we need them. So we got those first in Michigan, and we turned those in. They were about six inches high. And then I said, you know, this is this is back about probably uh, 1990 or something like that and uh, so we had an old roll type fax machine right and you got to understand this because this is before these nice single sheet fax machines were coming in and so uh, we got a letter from the from his doctor his oncologist at University of Michigan wrote a very excellent letter in which he explained that this man was a pharmacist he was a medical professional he understood the risks. He made a decision to terminate his chemotherapy, and it's because of his legs, because of his tendency to throw blood clots, because of his service-related injury, that he that he passed away. So okay, so I called up the, my client and I says, you know, we need his resume to go with that letter. And the case had come from the court back to the board, and as you guys know, that's a big one-year ordeal, but it was back there. We'd gotten notice that it was back there, so we knew it was at the board. 
And I said, well, I need that resume. And she called up, and I said, just have them fax it over. And she called me back, and she said, they won't fax it. The secretary says they can't fax it. And so she drove about an hour, you know, 45 minutes down there and picked up that resume, and she mailed it over to me. The resume was 45 pages long. Wow. <laughs> this young man, well, yeah, but this young man was 42 years old. He was the fastest gun in the West. He was the chief of oncology at the University of Michigan Medical Center Hospital, and he was a cancer researcher, and he was the man. And so I sent that off to the board, and we got a decision a few weeks later, and it says, well, normally this should be remanded back to the regional office, but in view of Dr. So-and-so's letter, uh, we are granting DIC. Wow. And so at that point in time, and I'll tell you how long this fight had been going on, she got about a $55,000 retro award. So she'd been probably fighting with these people for about six years at that time. And uh, somebody on the show today knows all about this ordeal. But uh, that's when I told her that 20 years before, when her husband had been forced to retire because of his his lower legs and not being able to stand and do his pharmacy work, that he should have gone up on TDIU. He was 60% rated for those legs. Indeed. And they had lost all of that money Uh, because his service uh, officers had never told him to turn in these forms. So, uh, no, Gerald, what they should do and what they do do are two different things. It's it's the typical gotcha game with the VA. So they're not going to tell you. That's That's right. That's right, Bob. Uh, not to interrupt you, but I've been uh, very successful with a tactic that there's no regulation for. I call it the go cue yourself VA type claim <laughs> in the appellate period. If they make a legal error in the decision, I've had great success with this. Uh, I have one pending, but I did have to file the NRD on time. My NRD's been there for over 700 days at my regional office. But uh, you're right. Uh, one thing about TDIU uh if the veteran is awarded 70% in a decision, for, uh, whatever, uh, and the VA is aware that they are unemployed, or even if they aren't aware, they should consider TDIU. And if they don't consider it at all, that is a cue that they're making. They're making a clear and unmistakable error based on M21 and 38 as far as the 70% criteria. Uh, so uh, uh, I, I think that's the point to bring up. And I just want to thank you for what you said about the secretary, Shinseki. I completely agree with you. He was extremely innovative with the VA. Uh, the, but but they, they screwed up every everything he came up with. Uh, and it's funny, I was just reading something the other day. I've been um, discussing something with the FBI. <laughs> uh, I know too much and I'm tired of knowing too much and getting a runaround from the VA general counsel. So I'm letting, um, actually, Keith Roberts uh, is my inspiration. A lot of what he said was true about the VA. 
I yeah, well, that, um, uh, Gerald wanted an update on Keith, and um, um, the regional office has, has uh, still not issued a, a rating decision on that. It got remanded back from the board. Oh, and the really? board did not issue any meaningful instructions. They just sent it back and sort of said, ah, do over. Well, geez, I thought we did that two years ago, September. So, you know, we're just wow. seem to be in this. It's like the Three Stooges. We're in the revolving door just running around going, whoop, 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 whoop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're right. It does sound like the Three Stooges. Now, I, I, I wanted to not. finish my sad story about this, this yes, young man you I was working on. So, uh, so, so these guys. So we get this letter that says August nineteenth, I think it was. We get this letter that says, "Oh, your representative has withdrawn your claim for TDIU." Oh. So I wrote a letter to the director, and I said, "You know, I didn't withdraw my um, our request for um, unemployability." And I said, I spoke to this young man for about 10 minutes, and I sort of summarized, you know, the things that we covered in that conversation. And the main point was that that we didn't, that, that my guy didn't fill out Block 16, but what we did is we said, see attached, and then we, um, you know, we provided all those those supporting documents. But then I went on to say... Uh, All other avenues to disrupt and delay his claim appearing to have been exhausted, your staff now resorts to fraud. Fraud is not a word used lightly. Title 18 U.S. Code, Section 1001, Statements or Entries Generally, provides that, A, except as otherwise provided in this section, whoever in any manner matter within the jurisdiction of the executive, legislative, or judicial branch of the government of the United States knowingly and willfully, one, falsifies, conceals, or covers up by any trick, scheme, or device a material fact, two, makes any materially false, fictitious, or fraudulent statement or representation, or three, makes or uses any false writing or document knowing the same to contain any materially false, fictitious, or fraudulent statement or entry shall be fined under this title, imprisoned not more than five years. Okay, now, there's, there's some changes in that. They, they made some changes in there. There's just a few words of changes from, from a few years ago. And what they added in there was instead of having a separate statute for lying to Congress, and I've always thought that, you know, talking about lying to Congress, it takes a lot of brass. You know, the biggest collection of liars under one roof on earth, and, and they have a, they have rules that you can't lie to them. But um, but anyway, uh, that uh, I think you get the idea that I that I am none too amused here, because um, this guy's. This guy's waited, you know, 40 years for his benefits, but he won at the board uh, June 23rd, 2011, and he still hasn't got his rating decision yet. Ah, oh, 
it's been over a year since his CMP exam, and uh, I, I just... Like I said, I think you know you having exhausted all your other dirty tricks, you now pull this this one out of the bag. But in any event, um, I, I think at some point in time, you know, sauce for the goose, sauce for the gander. You can take a guy like Roberts to the woodshed and make stuff up about him and send him to prison. It seems to me that uh, at, at some point in time. Um, you know, some of these people and some of the stuff they do is so blatantly, obviously fraudulent that I think you have to call them out and, and draw a line in the sand on it. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, today is, big, today is the big hearing at the going on. It started when the show started. Uh, the uh, There's a hearing at the House Veterans Affairs Committee on the Board of Veterans Appeals. Does everybody know about that? Yes. I hope so. It's. I think it's on now as we speak. Yeah, it might be on C-SPAN. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I know Thomas Banzel prepared a, a written submission. I don't know if he's going to be allowed to testify. But this goes back to some research that uh, that Alex, that Asknod, had been doing. And there was a couple of interesting things that Asknod came up with and we've discussed and he's discussed with Thomas. And, and there... There's an interesting thing, as you guys are all pretty expert in the process, but the, I think the veterans out there listening don't understand that, you know, you have this situation where you you get a rating decision and you file your notice of disagreement. And then you get a decision review officer review or you, or you get a, a traditional review, and you end up with a statement of the case. So you statement of case, you've got 60 days, you file your VA Form 9, your appeal to the board. Now, at that point in time, unless you submit new evidence, the regional office's role is over. You would agree that they're out of it. They're just sort of holding on to the file. Now, because of paper files traditionally, the the files have not been transferred to the board. Okay, that, that's a, it's a process thing. They don't physically transfer the file to the board until the board calls for it. And I've had several cases where regional offices have taken my client's file and shipped them off to the board when, when they weren't supposed to go just to ditch them so that ah. that no work would go on in the file. The file would be lost. I've had that happen twice. That's very annoying. But in any event, you're now in purgatory. You're in limbo. You're in this strange zone, uh, you know, the Terminator, between light and dark here. You're out in there in, in no man's land. And then two or three years later, when the board gets around to it, they call your file. Well, there has been very inaccurate reporting here, statistically. Very inaccurate reporting. Now, I always thought that the minute that VA-9 was posted and docketed, that that then would go on the board's workload. But somehow, 
through creative accounting and reporting and then their little internal rules and stuff. That's not the way it does. I think I think they're only reporting the stuff they've got in house. Now what's right. been going on with this this effort by all the regional offices, as you guys know, and you've been talking about it on the show, and I've talked about it before, of deny, deny, just deny everything and get it off my desk and get rid of it. Well, that's the whack-a-mole game, because now I love this new computerized NOD and VA-9 form. They send me in a 42-page SOC, and I can file a VA-9 in about 7.2 minutes. So I'm, you know... Uh, the veterans ought to be ahead on points on this. You know, we ought to be making making up ground here. I just walk over there and just fax it on into that web portal. Boy, I got that number all programmed in there and just <clears throat> press send. It's great. So, right. so, uh, and then you get your nice answer back form from Noonan, Georgia, so that you know that hey, I, you know. They got it. It's in there. Here's my here's my form. So they can they can, you know they t- take three years to crank it out, and it takes me seven minutes to hit it hit the ball back over the net. It's one Boy. Of kind of a nice tennis game here. Well, well they you know, been uh, trying to deny their way out of this backlog. That you know that's what these unscrupulous service center managers have been have been doing. And so now what the hearing's about today is not only process at the board and staffing at the board and resourcing at the board, but they're taking a whole look at it. I've advocated for years that we should have administrative law judges, not these BVA judges. And we've talked about this on the show before, that administrative law judges are are employees of the federal government under Title V United States Code. They they actually work for uh, for OPM. They don't work for. Uh, in other words, they're like the referees in in the. Uh, they work for the league. They don't work for the team. Okay. So there's a there's a pool of of administrative law judges for the federal government, and the Social Security administrative law judges may have in the past worked for the Merit System Protection Board. You know, they may have worked. The VA actually has administrative law judges. They do contractor appeals, contract appeals. They don't, you know, because contractors are entitled to full due process under the Administrative Procedures Act, but apparently veterans, being third-class citizens, are not. So I've advocated for that change, that that we have ALJs, because ALJs are not an employee of the Secretary of Veterans Affairs. Administrative law judges are, you know, are paid, you know, through, uh, through, through Title V. You know, they're, they're, like I say, they're like league officials. They're, they're like referees in a basketball game. They're not paid by one team or the other that's playing. They're paid by the league to be there. And so we would have some, and then they're all attorneys, and they're they're generally the core of ALJs in the country. If you look at the Social Security ALJs, they're highly trained, and they're pretty good folks, you know. And you know that you're going to get due process, and and that uh, 
they're they're heavily monitored, you know, by the agency that's retaining them. Social Security monitors all the statistics of, of, of the ALJs. You know, uh, how long it takes in days for them to get a decision out. Uh, how many of their decisions get reversed? Uh, how many uh, decisions get appealed but sustained on appeal? Uh, how many? Uh, get reversed and then and then corrected and and on appeal and they have all these statistics on these these folks and they oh. know uh, they know their productivity they know how many uh, a year you know in a month and a week you know how many decisions they crank out all these wonderful statistics are available for Social Security about their administrative law judges you can't get numbers like that on these BVA judges you can't get uh, uh, Bob can. Uh can you uh, request another judge on over your claim? I mean, well, I don't know what the you have uh, John Doe and uh, you want Mr. Black or something. Well, I I saw one uh, court decision uh, earlier this year where the <laughs> where the CAVC judge uh, I think it was a three judge panel. And the case had been up to the court about three or four times, and they'd finally had enough, and they said that that, uh, that veterans' law judge was to have no further contact with this case. Huh. It was in the court order. Now, why would why would you still have that guy working? You know, and, and he's by the way, he's in our region. He's I've I've had this guy so. Um, I, I think you can, um, but I, I, I don't think you're going to have much success with it. You know, it's their football. Yeah, yeah you're right there. Even with a Social Security judge, I'm, I'm telling you, you know, when you, whether you're in court or wherever, when you, when you bring a, re, uh, a request to change judges or for a judge to recuse themselves, you are really starting a war, and what's going to happen is, the, you know, the judge's buddies are all going to sit around at lunch or, you know, on the, the water cooler, and they're going to talk about it, and you're going to get nailed for it. Bob, let me interject a minute. Social Security Administrative Law judges, uh, they've got an avenue, too, that uh, the BVA doesn't have, and uh, that judge has the right to actually uh, render uh, what they call bench decision. Well, yeah, they can give you a decision right on the record. They can they can just say, you know, I've reviewed this, and we can all agree, and here's what the settlement's going to be right here. Boom. Yeah. The ten minutes. Yeah, that's fast. Yep. Well, the other the uh, one of the huge problems in, in the whole VA world is that the court doesn't issue awards. I think they've done yeah. once in you know since they've been created. There's been a couple times, but you know here they are remanding this 89 year old World War II vet. Yep. When we had that big, uh, uh, I think it was the Hodge uh, case, caused a, a big bunch of remands and then uh, uh, quarrels. There was a big this mass judicial punishment where all these cases had to be remanded back redone and they were getting ready to i'd had i had a uh, world war ii vet who was ill and i he'd been remanded once under hodge and now they come back under quarrels and 
and I sent a motion to the court, and I said, uh, "We we don't need to go back. We we don't fit into this box." We've done everything down there we need to do. We need a decision. And you can't, uh, if, if you remand my client, you're, re, you're remanding him across the river Styx. And, of course, that's the, that's the river yeah. in the 80s that you go across, you know, in the boat. So, so our motion was granted, and we weren't, we weren't thrown back into the swamp with everybody else but uh and of course the judges must have loved that because they cleared out their docket and they'd go play golf or whatever you know for a few weeks until every all the cases got refiled but we've we've had twice now i think we've had this mass judicial punishment of all the the veteran appellants and that's not a good thing well the biggest joke in any remand especially from the court is the last sentence they're supposed to the claim they're supposed to be treated expeditiously oh yes <laughs> be west yes isn't that uh, oh i say my you know my 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 bva remand is have been treated expeditiously in fact i had one guy here who's a korean war veteran and we won at the board and we didn't get what we wanted but we won and we we're supposed to get his PTSD was, say, supposed to go from 10 to 30%. Now, that's not what we wanted, but we got something. And so the case comes back, and it came back with this other man's case. There were three of them. All came back at the same time, uh, May and June of, uh, of 2011. And I wrote to him, and I said, Where's the rating decision? And we had we had about ten issues going on there, adjudicating all these other issues. We even had a hearing, and at the hearing we said, "Where's the where's the rating decision on the increase for this man on the on the board's order?" So back and forth, several letters to the director and service center manager, you know, issued the award. You know the rating implementing this award. So this guy's pale bump up here. He needs a new roof on his house. What are you doing? They sent it back to the board, and one of these young veterans law judges got that case. And the first page of that of that board decision just was a smoker, and she's basically saying, "What part of?" pay this man don't you understand (laughs) the attorney wrote to you and asked you where twice and asked you where the rating decision was and your answer is to send the file back up to us now take this file back pay the man and then fix all the other stuff that's messed up it was all a remand it was a total remand they lost on every issue and then finally, begrudgingly, you know, like the kid that has to clean up his room on Saturday morning before he can go outside, you know, they shoved everything under the bed and made it look pretty and went out and played. I Finally paid the guy. But, you know, you're basically dealing with, uh, I had a friend, Vic, Vic uh, over in Saudi Arabia. Vic was an Italian-American from Buffalo, New York. And Vic said, you know, you can understand the world. All you have to do is go back to the sandbox when you were a kid. 
if you want to understand human behavior, just think back to when you were four or five years old playing in the sandbox. And a lot of this stuff that goes on, you know, in these VA cases is are just is, is bullying and mean meanness uh, and just people, you know, taking retribution on veterans for, for having the chutzpah to file a claim or file an appeal against them. I mean, I think it's sad, but it's true. Bob, can I ask you a question about the widow of the Pearl Harbor veteran? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, do I understand? I'm assuming she did not have any uh, accrued benefit uh, status for a claim there. But, uh, and I'm also assuming that in all those years, her service officer didn't quite make any connection on his own between the embolism and the uh, leg issue? No, they didn't. They didn't get that. That when it came back from the court, I got a remand. And when it came right. back from the court, I went and got the oncology records and stuck them in there. You know, right. his death was hastened by his service-connected leg injury. Right. Okay. The cancer right. caused it, but. The cancer progressed aggressively and faster than it would have because of his phlebitis, because of his tendency to throw the blood clots. So it was a it was a hastening of death argument for the for in the. In other words, in other words, the service connected disability contributed significantly to his death. Yeah, it it, it significantly hastened his death. But, was it listed but, as number two on the death certificate? Um, it was. It was on the death certificate, but oh, they okay. never argued it. Boy. So we got this letter, this Nexus letter from this boy Wonder, and that—that's what. Did yeah. Oh. So the board said, "Well, you know, we should remand this case." But in view of of the physician's letter, uh, we're we're making the award. So Good. when it got back, right, all all they had to do was just process the the rating decision. Well, I had a claim at the board. I asked them for a remand because they violated my VCAA rights. But in the long run, the board turned around. <laughs> they agreed with me, but they remanded it for another uh, medical opinion. <laughs> and hmm. uh, by then, I had three. And I said, "Oh, I better get a full medical opinion." But by the but I knocked down the C and P that they remanded it for, and I kept looking in the mail for the fourth independent medical opinion I had ordered. Uh, what do I get? Another envelope from the board, and I and they had already sent me a few times someone else's uh, decision by mistake, <laughs> and I opened it up and it was an award. Because they had already gotten the CP, they got how I knocked it down, and that is when they actually weighed, heavily weighed, the three IMOs I already had. Um, so I guess that, may, you know, I felt like they were just fishing for one more. But you know what? They, they, they wanted as many against the claim as for the claim for relative equipoise. And in well, my that's, opinion... That's just developing know. to deny it's supposed to be illegal. That's wasting the taxpayer's money. It is. But you know what I have here, um, I just I just uh, started briefing a case at the court, and um, 
it's a glioma case. And let, let's talk about glioma brain cancers. Um, they're, they're, just, they're just burning through the Vietnam veteran population. And um, uh, hang on a second. Well, I'm glad Bert is on this morning to make my brain work. Oh, so Berta, I think you know Cherie Evans. You know that that uh, uh, Mrs. Evans won her widow's claim for the glioma cancer. Uh, I that's familiar, but I'm I forget was that considered but, a soft tissue it, sarcoma? Well, that's that's October of 2008. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no, t- uh, 2006 was the BVA decision, and let's see, when, did, when was the court order? Um, there was a joint motion to re- remand filed on January 14, 2008, and then later, you know, the board granted based on the remand. Uh, the Bergman and Moore firm in Bethesda, Maryland handled that case. Um, oh. Glenn, Glenn Bergman. But here's the deal. So just like the Thailand veterans with the Agent Orange, right? everybody's forced to relitigate these things. So my client has a glioma. And for four years, he's going into the VA saying, oh, I've got nosebleeds, I've got headaches, he's given petty mal seizure, symptoms, uh, my heart's racing, uh, I'm, I'm dizzy, I've got equilibrium issues, uh, just, you know, everything under the sun. And what these are is these are, these are all problems that are coming up because this tumor is growing in his head and pushing on those areas of his brain. You know, his heart's being made to race because he's getting this pressure in, inside his head so finally he falls out with a grand mal seizure down in North Carolina and they take him into the University of North Carolina um, Medical Center and they do surgery on him and they take a glioma out of his brain about the size of your fist ah. and Why so my husband had a brain tumor that's horrible so the, the, the argument the argument is the argument is uh, medical malpractice, failure to diagnose, failure to treat over this four-year period where they never gave this guy a competent history and physical. Uh, he was seen at Spokane VA and, um, and one down in North Carolina. So we got our uh, board-certified neurologist, neurosurgeon, who wrote this wonderful 19-page um, review of this. And this is also a guy who teaches in medical school and who does residency programs and everything else. And he said, you know, uh, not until he got into the University of North Carolina Health System did he get one competent history and physical conducted, uh, or did he get an MRI of his brain, which uh, did his problem. And what did... Uh, uh, you know what did the VA want to do? Send him to smoking cessation class and and tell him he had he had PTSD. Ah, uh, you know you're just a, you're just, 
you're just another Vietnam vet, you know, just, uh, you know, get off the front step. Well, this is how they killed my husband. Yeah, so now this guy, but my my expert was was asked to, to write an opinion about failure to diagnose and failure to treat. And as a throwaway, as an aside at the bottom of the opinion, he says, and to add insult to injury, you know, uh, gliomas have been linked to dioxin and, and the herbicides in Vietnam. And this is a 2004 uh, report. Okay. Now, so so we come back and we lost on the 1151 issue, and the we asked some a trial firm down in North Carolina to do the medical mal, and they didn't get it filed in time. And didn't oh. and didn't tell us, so we didn't get our medical malpractice federal tort claim done, which everybody oh. needs to know. I I just had a discussion yesterday with an attorney, and and I you know it took me 15 minutes, and you know I still think she thinks I'm wrong, but trust me, I'm right. Wow. The federal tort well, claim act provides a two-year statute of limitations. Right. So if you're going to sue the VA for medical malpractice, there's two special rules you have to understand. One is that you have to get it filed with the administrative claim, the SF-95 form, filed within before two years is up. And the second thing you have to understand is that you have to proceed under the medical malpractice laws of the state that you're in. So you you don't get the best of both worlds. You get the worst of both worlds. Right. Normally, a state medical malpractice statute of limitations is four or six years. But you don't get that. You get two years. You have to go very fast. But then you have to follow the state law. And almost all states now require this uh, medical affidavit where you have to get a a board-certified medical expert, a doctor, to write you an affidavit saying that I reviewed this case and there's negligence here and here's why before you can proceed. So so we missed out on that. That train left the station. So we've still got our 1151 claim. Well, our 1151 claim is trumped because, oh, they get their expert to say, oh, you know, uh, we looked at this and we didn't do anything wrong. Well, you can't you can't fight that in the VA forum. You can't fight that at the board in the Veterans Court. You know, they just get out their big rubber stamp and said, you know, we didn't do anything wrong. We're all friends here. Play nice. So, so then your only option. So I came back and I said, well, yeah, but what about our our claim for direct service connection? Not presumptive, but direct. And they come back and they get a uh. they get a registered nurse, who's not even the way uh, got a master's degree or a bachelor's degree, just an associate degree nurse who fills out a DBQ form, and this, I hadn't seen it before, but this medical opinion, medical opinion DBQ form is about, about two pages, two long. pages long. You check about, four, about blocks. four blocks. 
and they use that, so that that trumps my board certified um, uh, neurosurgeon with the forty two page resume that trumps him. And, you know, so this is the way the game is played here. But here's my argument um, about all this, and, and it's the same argument I have about, the, like I say, the Thailand guys. If you grant to one, how can you get, not grant to the other? Right. Morally and ethically, you can't. Perhaps legally, you can. And so that's what this case is going to test up at the court, is whether or not legally you know, you can deny this guy yeah. when you've granted to Sherry Evans. But but, but what happens what happens is the nurse comes the nurse back, comes back says, says I know I know of no specific evidence linking myoma to 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 dioxin. Hmm. And and the and and counsel and the and the uh and his medical expert, you know, uh you know, haven't. It's okay, John. We can continue. Why? So Getting a little short on time. Hundreds of these families out there now. Okay, that's real important. Well, you know, uh, I'm thinking, Bob, that maybe we could do a show in the future on something I do have a lot of expertise in: FTCA and 1151, and I'm the only person that ever won those two claims and then threw direct service connection on top of it. So they had to pay me back my offsite, and it changed the whole ball game. Right. But, uh, but if we have that show, I'm going to talk about two secret lists I think I already talked about on the air and it had it. There's two more secret lists the VA has, and uh, I don't think we have time to get into it. I'm on both of them. Uh, those who received settlement and the general counsel never reported it to the National Data uh, National Practitioners Data Bank, like defying the mandate they have okay. for the data bank. And the fact that 1151 are, there's no accountability at all for those doctors. They give you the award, and those doctors just go on to uh, malpractice against other vets. And I have uh, written to Miller uh, at the HVAC, the IG, and recently to the FBI. Uh, to um, try to make this wrong right before I die because, you know, I work on claims every day at the website. And between you and me, Bob, I feel like sometimes I'm just pissing in the wind because no matter what kind of good advice after over 20 years of experience I've had as a claimant uh, that I can give to veterans, I start to think, what difference does it make if those veterans might be harmed or, or die because of VA health care, and the VA and might the VA get away with it. And, and I wrote to Shinseki years ago, 2008. It was in They used to they have VAC for VAC testimony, VAC. and I told him, you know, the thing is going to get worse for him. Uh, but I do agree. He was the best secretary we ever had. And uh, I think you've given us a fabulous show here. And uh, maybe the next time we can talk a little bit more about Keith, and maybe there'll be uh, more of an update to uh, what's going on with him. Yep. And hopefully by then we'll have some good news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Well, uh, I used to be on the fence on reading uh, everything about Keith Roberts. But I've been victimized the same way he was in some respects. And uh, obviously, uh, you know, it's all coming out to light. That's all I got to say. <laughs> Bob, we want to thank you for coming on today, buddy. You've been a you've been a uh, breath of fresh air. <laughs> yeah. All right, Mike. You know, I'm 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 just Irish, so I'm always willing to talk. I guess. <laughs> well, you thanks just, for having I mean, me on. You're so informative, and we just uh, I mean, uh, it's 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 great having you on, and uh, we're we're glad you had the opportunity to come on the show. And uh, we'll try to do this again. I like to set a show like that up in about a month, Bert. If you want to do that, we can do that. Yep, I'd be happy to come back anytime. Just give me a little, little more notice so we can get some material ready. Okay. Okay, Bob. We'll do that. Thanks very much, Bob. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks a lot, Bob. Bob. Bye bye. Thank you, Bob. He's a great guest. Oh yeah. Great show. Yeah. Great Boy. show. And the things Bob. that he talks about. Well, leads into other directions too that are so important for anyone listening into these shows. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of good, a lot of good. Well, I'm going to run the show ending. Okay, John. Go ahead and run it. Go ahead, Stress. Uh, Berta, thank you for coming on. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, well, thanks a lot, Berta. Sorry for the late notice. Thanks. Yeah, thanks a lot. I, I did get an echo during the show and the show. Uh-oh. Yeah, I'm hearing yeah. it. So now I wasn't hearing it while we go. Yeah. And my Bob, I used to interview him, Gerald, and we yapped for often an hour or, an hour or more, more prior, prior to the show to develop what we were going to talk about to make it move, make, um, you know. So if I know so in advance... I can be better can prepared be better to, prepared. Um, um, you know, help him with what he wants to do. He Bert, wants you, to go that way again. Well, why don't you put some stuff together on put some stuff together on the topic you were talking about? We can do we can do a special show too, just for that, if you want to do that. Yeah. Uh, that that would be great. I I might have covered some of it in a past show though, but uh, it bears repeating because yeah. every day I get more news from the VA that they, you know. I've done something done else, something else relevant, relevant to that to that subject. And yesterday, when I wrote to the FBI, 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 FBI uh, something had just happened that morning that caused me to stick something else into the letter regarding the VA. I mean, there's a lot going on, and a lot of people are not aware of what is going on. Yeah. You know, and as a website, we're we're focusing on claims primarily. So, and uh, you know, I don't really have the time to, um, you know, put everything in there about these. Uh, well, well, I'm hoping they repeat the hearing that they're that's on. It might be on, still on it. It's not on. They're it's doing. Uh, no, I was looking at what ago. There's a. Uh, they got some kind of. Uh, um, it's a military thing, but I don't think it's uh, it's not the committee. I think uh, Dick Durbin was talking about something a while ago, and I did some searches on it. So maybe they'll replay it later. I don't know what they're going to do, but uh, yeah. You know, remember but, uh, we're very we're very unimportant little veterans here, and we have a very low priority in D.C. Yeah. Well, uh, I think veterans have a lot of power, but they're afraid to use it. No, and I understand that. Uh, they, I, 
you know, I think they're afraid to lose their compensation, like Keith Roberts, if they squat too much. But I get DIC under three separate theories, so <laughs> they could cry, try and come back to me and try and take it away under one theory, but they still have to pay me out under two more. Well, there's so much, there's uh, so much division. There's so much division in the world because it was uh, when when they came up with the idea of all these veteran service organization groups, they wanted us to divide the veterans and get them different groups, you know, and that way they can, wouldn't have much power because each group would have a certain percentage, see. Hmm. And uh, that's the old uh, avenue of conquer and divide, and that was a, was a premeditated thing when they did that years and years ago. So hopefully yeah, the yeah, get I together. would like to see that done away with. I'd like yes. to see all these groups go back together and form one unit. Uh, Let them all come yeah, to yeah. Come <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. 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 I think Haddock should be uh, the training program for all VA uh, rating officers, <laughs> as well yeah. as uh, NSO service officers. Yeah. Yep. But uh, I have to go, gentlemen. I've got uh, a whole bunch of things uh, on me today. <laughs> but uh, I look forward to another show, and uh, Bob Walsh is a fabulous guest. Fabulous. So, uh, well, coming on, Bird. Thanks, Bruno. Okay. Okay. You're welcome, everybody. And stay stay healthy as you can, everybody. I'm staying healthy just for spite. I'm going to jump, stretch. Michael, we'll get together on Skype here in about five minutes. Okay. 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 All right. Okay. Thank you, Bert. Bye now. You've been listening to the Blog Talk Radio Show, sponsored by Hadit.com. All opinions expressed here are the opinions of the individuals appearing on the show and an update opinions of Hadit.com or Blog Talk Radio. Tune in next time for another edition of Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio and the Ask Bastard Show.